to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Before we get into our show today, which is just going to be a fabulous um, show, I always like to tell people a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks because we're always getting new listeners. So bottom line, um, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we got started because of my own family story. My mom lived with the disease for 30 years. And for me, it was life-changing. And here I am in the world of dementia and um, plucked right out of real estate, which I never thought I would leave. But I I absolutely adore the work that I am able to do. And um, I I just find it so exciting to talk to people um, all around the world who are making a significant difference regarding dementia, and I love being able to share that with you. Um, Alzheimer's Speaks also believes that, you know, when we share knowledge and when we share stories and we just have these everyday simple conversations about life with dementia, that we can help remove the stigmas, we can help educate people, and we can give them hope to go on and live graciously um, with whatever they're dealing with in life. Also, at our core, we believe really strongly that collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle. And I know it's working because of all of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares with your spheres, with your Pinterest peeps, with your Facebook um, friends, with your Twitter tribes, with your colleagues on LinkedIn, um, you have been sharing all of the various types of content that Alzheimer's Speaks push pushes out, not just the radio show but our video is called Dementia Chats, where I interview people with dementia, and they talk about what they'd like life to look like in different um, areas. Um, we have a blog. We have a YouTube channel. We have a resource website. And because of your sharing, you got us recognized as an architect of change by Maria Shriver and also as the number one influencer online uh, for Alzheimer's by ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And again, we share those recognitions with you because we surely did not do them on our own. And we just um, really are honored um, and pleased with all of the work that you're willing to do in terms of pushing information out. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I also want to uh, just invite people Uh, to join us on our cruise. We're going November 11th through the 18th on a dementia-friendly cruise and symposium. And we still have some openings, so feel free to to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. You can find out more information about signing up. Yes, we are going to the Caribbean, and yes, we'll probably be changing some ports, um, but that's okay. We're going to have a lot of fun because it's really all about camaraderie, getting to know one another, and um, having these um, wonderful conversations about life with dementia and sharing knowledge. We actually have four people living with dementia who will be part of our staff, um, Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. 
as well as we're honored to have Cindy Lazinski with us, who is um, heading up a dementia-friendly community in northern Colorado, and uh, Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, um, and myself. I also want to just offer you on our website, we have some helpful tips for dementia, and you can feel free to go ahead and download those as well. So let me introduce our guest today. We have Jeff Bjork, uh, who is a clinical psychologist, professor, and researcher at Fuller Seminary, uh, and it's a graduate school of psychology. Um, Dr. Bjork has also composed and produced six solo piano CDs, and his music has been played worldwide to millions of listeners. Um, Today, we are so lucky to have him with us, and he's going to tell us the story of his mother, Irene, and their family's journey with dementia. He's written a beautiful book called Twilight Meditations that highlights um, family photos accompanied with storytelling and a variety of Irene's beautiful artwork before and during her disease process, as well as Irene's thoughts of God as her faith guides her and supports her as her Alzheimer's disease progresses. Again, the book is called Twilight Meditations, and I think it's really going to bring a lot of comfort to many, many people. So welcome, Dr. Bjork. How are you today? Thank you, Lori. It's great to meet you by phone, and I just want to say thank you for just all that you have done thus far and obviously ongoing with all your work on behalf of those with various forms of dementia and especially Alzheimer's. I really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. Um, Before we get started, if you can kind of give people a little bit of background regarding um, your mom's journey, because the way you've written the book, you say um, basically it's by her and told by you. And so can you give people a little idea of um, when you started seeing symptoms and and um, how long she's been living with the disease? Sure. And uh, like many of those who uh, find themselves being caregivers or with a loved one with dementia, as you look in hindsight, you begin to realize that you probably saw signs uh, before you uh, realized it early. Um, but being a clinical psychologist, um, I, I think maybe I noticed a little bit earlier than some might have. Uh, I started to notice uh, little vague things as in stated intentions that were never followed through probably as early as 2009. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to clean this counter, you know, (laughs) Oh, that's great, mom. And then kind of uh, not getting around to it. But uh, the moment when I knew uh, I, I, I had pause for concern, she was living independently. Um, She'd been a very independent person. We did convince her to move from her, lifetime home in New Jersey out to Southern California, about a mile from us in her little condo. And she just loved that since 2003. And in 2010, I get a phone call from the emergency room and she has taken a fall and literally face planted. She absolutely looked like a prize fighter. And my mom was plucky enough that she actually put her fists up joking, uh, realizing what she looked like. But the, the sad part of it was she'd been carrying groceries from her car and walked right over one of those logs that you have in front of each car, the concrete logs that stop cars in a parking lot. Mm-hmm. And this is a parking lot she'd been walking in for, you know, uh, seven years. And so she, she should have known that. And that was my sign to say, Mom, you know, do you mind if I ask you, I've got a little piece of paper here. Let me ask you a few questions. And what animal is this? And can you draw that? And I used a, a neuropsych screening test. Um, and one of her responses was, 
um, that's a rhinoceros. And when we got back to the asking the questions again, she said, that's a hippopotamus. Oh, I said rhinoceros, didn't I? Ha ha. And she laughed. And and I knew that there were things that were beginning even at that point. Having said that, she stayed relatively independent uh, for another two years until um, uh, we decided that it was safest and best to have her transition to an assisted living in the fall of 2012. Okay. Wow. It, it is amazing. Um how we don't see what's before us sometimes and and uh and just kind of push things off and even as a skilled person um you, like you said you notice probably a little sooner but i would imagine there were some things that that you too missed um because we oh, just absolutely. we just don't want to see them you know in our loved ones there um can That's you right. yeah why why don't you um tell us a little bit about why you chose to write the book because a, that is a really time-consuming feat to pull a book together. And a lot of times there can be family dynamics, you know, of, no, you can't put that in, or yes, you can. And um, it, it's not always something that's easy to do for a family member. So why did you choose to write the book, and what kind of response did you get from, from family members? Sure. Um, well, the first piece is I, I got nothing but support from family members, and part of that is because I've got a simpler family than most. My, my father was an only child. My mother had a brother who never married. I had no cousins. <laughs> I had no extended family. I have a brother and a sister, and, and they were on board from the start. They had also supported her moving out uh, to be closer to, to me so that I could help out. So thankfully, there was absolutely no family drama regarding the book whatsoever. Um, and you're right. That absolutely can be an issue because people have different stories. People have different perspectives, and they're 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 all valid. And sometimes they can conflict. I was blessed that that wasn't an issue for me. But you know why I chose to write this book, uh, Laurie, as it as it says in my preface, um, as a clinical psychologist, I've been helping people for years, um, and uh, uh, I. I developed a little saying a number of years ago that I put in the preface, which is, you know, some people go to heaven in an instant, but some people go to heaven a little at a time, and we're privileged to keep house for them as they leave more and more rooms empty. And I found that phrase to be very healing and comforting to people who had people not only uh, losing um, those rooms from dementia, but other things like cancer and other things. Well, as she took that fall uh, in the garage, um, and I just had a little existential moment at that point because part of it was, again, since since this is the whole family, we have a very small family, I realized that when she would lose her memory, uh, I would be the only one that knows anything of those things going back into history aside from my brother and sister, and it would all be in memory. In fact, that's what inspired me to, uh, just on a tangent, um, composed my most recent piano CD, uh, which which came out a couple of years later, called Keepsakes in the Attic, and I won't dwell on that at all, except to say that it's a very nostalgic album that's inspired by the idea that we all have those keepsakes. And so I thought, you know, what if I could start to make a make a tribute of what my mother's life had been? But what really inspired me to write the book was that. By the time she'd uh, transitioned to uh, assisted living in the fall of 2012, um, she had only stopped driving in May of that year, although 
please be assured, I did a driving test with her every Sunday with me in the car, and driving got progressively shorter so that when she stopped driving, the only thing she was allowed to do was drive two blocks down the street to Wendy's for lunch at 25 miles an hour. And she, I will say, she passed her last driving test, but when I saw the reaction time was starting to slip, I said, you know, Mom, I think it's probably time to give up the car. And as a testimony to the Alzheimer's, within 24 hours, she was telling everybody about how glad she was that she had decided to stop driving, which which was not the case, but you take the blessings when you can have them. However, even with that, and as her conversation started to lose its cogency, she would continually, on occasion, say a, a statement that had startling clarity, often had quite a bit of depth to it, and I would be reaching for a pencil to write that down, like, wow, that was beautiful. That was 2012. By 2013, I was annoyed with myself whenever I'd forgotten a pencil. By 2014, I was never without one. And what inspired me to not simply collect these quotes of my mother's, but to put them in a book was this. I'm sure that there are many of your listeners who have loved ones who, if they are a person who believes in God, at some point may say to themselves, has God abandoned my loved one? Mm -hmm. Look at what's happened. It's so sad. And I thought, if I could write this book and let them hear my mother's quotes that continue to break through the fog of her dementia, as they turn each page, they'd say, oh, no, there's God. There is God. God hasn't left. And I think that I fully respect that there are many people who don't believe in God. But for those who do, I wanted to encourage them to know that no matter how distant their loved one became, that did not mean that God had gotten any further away or that God loved them any less. Well, and I think people can frame it as as God or their higher power, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, absolutely. Um, and, and I felt that way with my mom. I think she she just got closer and further away from us at times. And um, but yet there was this contentment that you could see and actually feel in her presence, if you would kind of shut up and sit down and just be quiet, you know, be still and, and really be in the moment um, and hear her, see her, um, and really read all of her body language. And yes. it was, it, I mean, it's just very special. Um, but you have to get to that place of accepting kind of the new normal and to look for things that you probably overlooked before. Yeah. And if I could just add one thought, I think that a terrible injustice is done to many people who are are caregivers of these loved ones by those who, in well-meaning terms, if they know someone with dementia who is a wonderful person to be around, say, oh, well, that's no surprise. That's what they were like before they had dementia. It's just a logical progression. And I'm here to say that it's not. I believe that the fact that my mother had the amazing blessing of continuing to be pleasant and cheerful and grateful throughout this whole period um, at one level was random. It depends on what part of the brain deteriorates at, at, at one point or another. And there are many wonderful, loving, truly genuine people who become angry and scared and frightened, and mm-hmm. they are no less wonderful people. It, and I just I think that's important because I think sometimes people secretly wonder, oh, is this what they were really like? And the answer is a resounding no. Mm-hmm. This is what part of them was like that they had lovingly managed to keep down if, in fact, anger and things like that emerge. And then also, how many of us have that type of anger when we just break a shoelace, let alone can't remember our name? And so I just want to put that caveat out there because I think sometimes people feel like, oh, well, 
uh, if if my loved one isn't one of the happy ones, somehow there's been a failure, and that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally totally agree. Can you um, tell us, you know, what kind of mom, you know, Irene was when you were growing up? Well, I'd, I'd be happy to, Laura. My mother was a delightful, complex combination of all types of things, and, and aren't all our mothers. Um, sure, I could sum it up with words like wonderful, but she wouldn't like that because that sounds a bit too euphemistic. Um, she was an unconquerable optimist, uh, but sometimes people who are unconquerable optimists also have a hard time uh, looking at the negative side of things, and, and life has both. She was also someone who was very sweet. And very demure, uh, and had a lovely laugh, and loved to laugh, and have a sense of humor, but very courteous and polite. Um, but I, I would get a kick out of telling her caregivers, "Well, yes, that's all true." But she also used to sit ar- across the room from me, and pick her fist up and and gesture at me and say, "I'm going to slug you if you don't stop that." Now, she never did, <laughs> <laughs> but but she had that feistiness as well. Um, my mother was also someone who was perpetually learning and always wanting to new, know new things and experience new things. She was obviously, as, as the book points out, she was an amazing artist. Um, and uh, one of the lines uh, from the book, I, I, by the time I was in high school, I said, my mom could make anything out of anything. She put MacGyver to shame. Um, <laughs> and uh, and just uh, she was such a creative person. And she was a people person. She loved caring for people and, and trying to be an encouragement to them. And she was plucky. And I think some of that pluck came from the fact that uh, she had polio, the only person in her town to get polio. Uh, she was born in 28, and she got it uh, when she was six, six years old, and as a result, had to walk with a limp uh, and was made fun of in much of her life, which didn't stop her from learning to play basketball and ride horses and, and take dancing lessons. And then she had her ankle fused uh, when she was 25 because that's the only way she could bear the weight of childbirth, uh, and so I'm obviously indebted, as my siblings are, for that. And so she couldn't bend her ankle. What did my mom do? Well, she just figured out different ways to get up the stairs, and she would still want to go for hikes and things of this nature, always doing everything that she was able to do. And I would I would be unjust if I didn't say that my mom was the kind of mom whose, whose faith and her personal relationship with the God she loved just informed everything. And the easiest word to describe that was gratitude. My mother taught me more about gratitude and more about the concept of a God who loves you uh, no matter what you do and no matter who you are than probably anyone else I've known. Wow. Sounds like an amazing woman. How is she doing today? Boy, Lori, I wish I could tell you she's doing great. Um, She's not. Uh, uh, One of the last pictures in the book was actually taken this Easter. The last quote in the book was this March. But um, in May of this year, she started uh, another step in the decline, so much so that we needed to move her from a memory care unit, a a wonderful unit where the the nursing assistants were just amazing angels themselves and clearly saw their job as more than a job. Um, But we did need to transition her to skilled nursing because she needed increasing help with everything Mm -hmm. and was increasingly unsteady on her feet. And as is not uh, unusual, 
the transition caused a bit more decline because everything's unfamiliar, even though you can't remember things the way we typically think of remembering, you still are having memories. And so um, at this point, uh, she only walks a few steps with the greatest of assistance. Um, one of the staples of our visits through the years has been singing together. At this point, she will mouth a few of the words to songs and clearly enjoys them, but she's not singing. Um, many days, it's just one word or two at a time. Although Sunday, we came for a visit and had a just an amazing, uh, beautiful day where she actually said two completely cogent sentences. I said, Mom, would you like to uh, would you like me to play the piano? She said, I believe I would like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then when I played a song, well, that was terrific. But aside from, and she recognized my wife, who's faithfully gone to see her every week with me all these years. And then I go another two days a week, at least. I'm seeing her at least three days a week. But so you do have those moments of, of alertness. But overall, um, when it gets back to the idea that some folks go to heaven a little at a time and we housekeep for the rooms they leave vacant, I'm sad to say that I think my mother only has one or two rooms uh, left occupied at this point. And yet in the midst of those, there's lots of room for hugs and kisses and telling her I love her and seeing her smile and holding her hand. And these are blessings. Yeah, they really they really are. And I know a lot of people can't bring themselves to see those things as blessings because they've defined them differently and they don't want to change what their definitions of a blessing are um, or what a gift of life it is. But, you know, what I found, um, and I don't know if you're finding this with your journey, but I found, you know, with my mom, these little teeny things are the things that melt my heart and, you know, make me more solid and confident and feel more cared for. And it's the glint in the eye or the squeeze of the hand or the smile or the giggle it's not it's not the big things. It's just these really subtle little things that that I, I think I always appreciated, but I, I've learned to appreciate them on a on a whole different level that I didn't even know existed before. And I feel like there's I feel like I've found um different levels of what I call unconditional love um through Absolutely. through her journey that are so rich. I mean it's it's um it's almost a religious um, experience in and of itself, you know, to go through mm -hmm. kind of the ascension of realizing these small little things are so very powerful and so very beautiful. Yeah, uh, I think you said that really well. And I think that the idea of those moments being part of unconditional love, because, you know, dementia is, a, is an evil taskmaster and it, it strips away contingency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so love needs to be unconditional. Um, and uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more with what you've said. Yeah. Well, and I think it makes us look at how we love, too, because, you know, we're not always so perfect either um, as much as we think we are. And it makes us simplify um, and just kind of get to the core of, of what's what. I know when my mom, you know, even in her end stages, you know, I would tell people she's the safest place I can go because she just doesn't judge me anymore. You know, right. that, that part of her is gone. Um, she's just very accepting, very loving, and no matter what was going on in my life, I could truly be whatever I needed to be in that moment, and it was safe. Mm -hmm. You know? And, Absolutely. And that's um, that's a true, true gift, you know, to feel that comfortable with anybody, um, you know, and not that I haven't been 
that close to others. But it was just, again, on a whole different level that you really can't or I can't really put into words. Um, it was just a whole different level of love on that. Um, and to me, that's just such a, a beautiful gift to be able to give people. But you can't give somebody something that they're not open to receiving. And so that's our jobs as care partners is to open ourselves to, you know, some of the beautiful possibilities that are wrapped in this disease. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some um, what are some tips that you would give anyone whose loved one has dementia? Sure, sure. Um, well, uh, I think uh, there's a couple. There's there's lots of tips, and I'm sure you could give tips for the entire hour by yourself with all your experience. But a couple come to the fore for me. One of the first I would give is do not confuse appearance with reality. This is very, very difficult because of the way we're wired as human beings. And here's what I mean. Um, Many people find themselves very frustrated with a person, especially when the dementia is not very severe, because people with dementia, uh, there will be multiple times uh, when they will appear and sound and act exactly as they always did and look exactly like they did before and completely appear to be faking the rest of the time. It's like, wow, you, you really do know that this is hard on me, and, and you really do know what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And people can find themselves being frustrated with the person because they look like they don't have dementia at that moment. Well, so much, in fact, all of our being wants them so desperately to not have dementia that we are more motivated to believe that illusion than just about anything else, even if it's only for a minute. And when we do, that can result in our becoming angry with them in ways that we would never become angry with someone else's parent who had dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that, that's the first. Just because your parent or your loved one at the moment looks completely normal, you need to continually remember that they are not, that their brain is completely differently wired by this point, and that they can sound the same. You know, the old thing, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, it must be a duck. Mm-hmm. That's just not always true because appearances can be very, very deceiving. And it's, I believe, easier to be patient with a loved one who is acting unlike themselves than with a loved one who is acting like they always did. Mm-hmm. Because that, that so that's, that's a trap. And I think if, if we just put little post-its around the house in our mind that say things are not as they seem. I think that's a really important reminder for uh, helping us keep patients. Um, a second one on the positive side of that would be this. Memory is multifaceted. And this is one that is very, very important. L- let me illustrate it with a story. This is, this is not my first walk down the road with, with Alzheimer's. Uh, my father's mother had it. Um, and... Uh, uh, she remembered me for the longest time, but finally, and even though I was living on the other coast, she was in New Jersey, I was in California. The last time I saw her, however, when I went in to see her and I sat down, hello, grandma, she looked at me with a, a very a cold expression. She said, I've never met you before a day in my life. And I looked right back at her and I said, what if I told you that I'm your grandson, Jeffrey, and I love you very much? And my grandmother with those steel blue eyes looked at me and said, 
I believe I'd believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened was we started down the road of memories that she still had. Mm-hmm. We sang George M. Cohen tunes. We uh, made little little gestures or jokes. I used to reach around and kiss her on the back of her neck, and she'd scrunch up her neck and, and squeal. And I, I did that and, and little expressions. The fact is that just because a person doesn't remember their name or your name or where they live or the two plus two is four doesn't mean that they don't have touch memories, hearing memories, scent memories, visual memories. Doesn't mean that they don't have emotional memories. One of the things, frankly, that until very recently my mother seemed to gain a great deal of comfort from was when I would put my head deliberately on her shoulder and she would immediately go, oh, and reach up and start to stroke my hair. And that memory goes back to before I had hair when I was a baby and it's, it's etched in her memory. And so if we demand that our loved ones have to keep their memory in the way we typically think of it from the day to day, we will be incredibly frustrated and in fact desperate. But if we look for the places where memory exists, we will find that it emerges in many places. And I alluded before, and I'm sure you know much of the research shows, the one place where memory seems to last just about the longest is music. Mm-hmm. Sing old songs with your with your loved one. Play their old tunes. If you've ever seen some of the videos of the folks where they get the Walkman and all of a sudden their eyes light up and, and they almost become a different person. Why is that? Well, research shows us that uh, the brain activates virtually every part of itself when we listen to music. Virtually nothing else engages the whole brain. Well, if the whole brain was engaged then more of it's going to still hang on to music even when parts of it are gone. And so look for ways to celebrate multifaceted memories. That can be if you have a recipe for cookies that your mother or father loved, bake those. Smells can be a powerful memory um, and uh, and a shared memory. So those would be a couple of quick ones. Let me give one more. Do I have time? Yeah, yeah, please. Okay, sure. Well, here's a third suggestion I would make. And let me preface this by saying, in some ways, um, uh, my mother had uh, a a value of truthfulness and integrity, which I inherited by all means, um, uh, to almost some people would think an annoying degree that honesty is the most important is the most important thing of all. Um, I I I absolutely believe that she believed that, and so people who uh, tell little white lies all the time might not have a problem, but those who've been trying to be truthful then may feel like, well, do I tell the truth? Do I tell what do I do? And here's the thing. Dementia changes the landscape of truth because it erases the future and the past. What does that mean? It means, for example, that if we're walking past the coffee maker and my mother says, I would like to have a cup of coffee right now, Uh, and you know she needs to be in another place, to say, well, what if we get one when we come right back? Now, in your heart, you know you have no intention of coming right back. But you also know that in her eternal present, the eternal now, that answer would suffice. And by the time you're ready to come back, it's gone. And so it's okay, I believe, to agree with a person, 
I know I've, you've probably heard there there was a, a one of the early um, homes for those with memory problems. Um, uh, they decided, based on a, I believe one woman who kept saying she needed to meet her husband at the bus, um, they decided to say, okay, let's go out, and they would sit on the bench by the uh, bus stop. And after about 20 minutes, say, hey, would you like to get some food to eat and, and go back inside? But they never disagreed. They never said your husband's not there. Um, and in fact, I believe one of those places installed a bus stop where people could sit and wait for people and then forget and go back in rather than fighting them over the, the facts of the moment to simply go with what they are suggesting uh, to the extent that it's possible, agree. Uh, if if it, at all possible, don't spend any time disagreeing because disagreement requires logic, and logic is one of the first things to go. But the ethics of it, as again, someone who I believe uh, myself, I, I hold honesty in the highest esteem. I won't tell a little white lie. If if I don't like your hat, I won't say I do. I'll say something like, it's a nice day, isn't it? <laughs> but when it comes to my mom, if she said um, – I'd like to have those flowers in my room. Can I have those flowers in my room? I might say, sure, you can. Can we get them later? And mm -hmm. if she says yes, her eternal now has been handled without the stress, and I don't believe that I'm, in fact, misrepresenting the truth. Instead, I'm entering her truth, which has no past and has no future. Those, those would be three, at least for starters. Oh, those are wonderful. Those are absolutely wonderful. I, I, I want to go back to, you know, when you were talking about um, not confusing the appearance with the reality, because one of the yes. things that that we see a lot, and it's so sad, is bullying. Um, people get bullied by others going, you really don't have it. You're just faking it because uh, just because of that. Um, and, you know, we see it a lot on social media and mm -hmm. it's just, it's just saddens me, but families sometimes I, you know, I've, I've heard that too. Oh, you know, mom's faking it. She's fine when I'm there, but again, people see what they want to see, um, for their own comfort, you know, zone as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to be really conscious of that and how we're coming off. If we're questioning somebody's diagnosis, I mean, you just think of, you know, would you ever go and question, you know, if someone has heart disease or diabetes or right. whatever, right. we we wouldn't do that. But we tend to do that with dementia a lot. We tend to be yes. so much more um, subjective and, um, and subject them to our reality or our discomfort sometimes or our lack of knowledge um, with it. And so I think as an audience, as, as a society, we have to look deeply at that and um i i've never heard it explained the way you did um and I, I thought that that was really a nice way nice nice way to to put it um it's very very good um now in the book you know you have kind of a, a mixture of some family photos and you have just mm -hmm. beautiful phrases that your mom has said and um, do you want to? I don't know if you've got the book in front of you. If you want to share a couple of maybe your favorite um, sayings that your mom had, and you've got some artwork that she's done in here as well. Sure, sure. Uh, is it okay? Let me just back up just for a second because I think you just made an excellent point, and I don't want us to leave it just yet. And that the idea of bullying, mm -hmm. um, I think that is 
tremendously important. And you say you wouldn't question heart disease. You wouldn't question uh, someone if they've all of a sudden had a diagnosis in those ways. I believe that in the core, in our core, nothing is more frightening than losing our mental faculties. Mm-hmm. And it threatens our, our fear of mortality more than anything. And so again, there is such a strong core desire in all people to want to deny the reality that a person's brain is dying mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. than that their their lungs are dying or that their you know their heart is dying somehow uh, the brain is something that's so threatening and so people can uh, resort and feel angry in these ways not realizing that what they're actually doing is unconsciously masking their fear of this death of the mind, which of course reminds us that what if that happens to me? I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm certainly in line. My mother's mother had Alzheimer's and died at 69. My mother has it. Um, And so I may have it as well. Mm -hmm. The thing I'd add though, just the flip side about uh, don't uh, confuse appearance with reality, it does go in the other direction. Here's what I mean. Some people with Alzheimer's um, are functional bullies. Mm-hmm. Not by intent, but they can be violent. They can slap you. They can hit you. They can, and if we confuse appearance with reality, what we can find ourselves saying is, "Well, they have Alzheimer's because so they have an excuse for this, and it's my mom, so she must really be mad at me, and I've got to try harder." Mm-hmm. And I do believe there is a point at which safety issues and the fact that you have to be uh, okay yourself in order to care for a loved one, when there are instances where someone with dementia becomes someone who is more volatile. Sometimes it may be the difficult but loving choice to get help in having someone else care for that person um, because it can actually become a, a danger factor. And and those are hard words, but in the same way that you trotted off your child to get a vaccination when they were a toddler and they looked at you with hate and anger in their eyes at how you could let that mean doctor stab them, you did it anyway because you loved them mm-hmm. and you knew it was for the best. And so I just, I just, I just want to add that I think that some caregivers are bullied even though Alzheimer's patients are not bullies. Mm-hmm. So anyway, as far as quotes about the book though, sure, um, clearly one of my favorites is the one that starts the section of quotes. And we were talking about, I forget exactly what, but basically her condition. And she did know uh, at some level by this point. Early on, she just you know, had no insight at all. After then, don't use that Alzheimer's word. That's a horrible word, she'd say. <laughs> um, after a while, she began to realize that she did have some of these issues. And one day she looked at me, she said, I'm so thankful for the memories that he has let me keep. And that just that just struck a chord in my heart that here's someone who's losing her mind, and yet her unconquerable gratitude is still thanking God for the parts of her mind that remain. Mm-hmm. And as you go through the book, there are so many of her quotes that talk about gratefulness um, and and a trust. You know, another is God's answer might involve a long wait, but it's worth a long wait when it comes from God. Um, she would just, and, and I, I must confess that some of my favorite quotes are because they reflect her, her, her deep personal experience of a relationship with God, you know, something as simple as he's the first one I ask when I have a question, (laughs) (laughs) but one of my, one of my favorites, um, 
that was from a different context uh, was that um, at this by this point in her life, um, let's just let's just contextualize it. She needs help eating. She doesn't use a fork well by herself, and this is February of 2014. And she hasn't toileted herself in two years. Uh, she can't shower herself. Uh, she needs a walker and needs supervision to do that. Um, if I said to her, well, mom, how are you today? She'd say, well, and she'd look around the room and she might see a red ball on, on the windowsill. I see some red. In other words, her, her conversation was totally uh, at odds mm -hmm. and, and oblique to reality. Mm -hmm. Into the midst of that type of of fog would burst these amazingly articulate quotes. And one of my favorites was all of a sudden we were sitting outside and she liked looking at the mountains and trees. And all of a sudden she said, I love nature in the sense that it's all the ways God shows himself. <laughs> and I, I look at her and I felt like saying, who are you and what have you done with my mother? Because it was so beautiful, so articulate. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was one that, um, that I really, I really appreciated. Um, and some people might think that my mother was optimistic to the point of being Pollyannish, and I'm here to tell you that is not true. She had a friend who had Lou Gehrig's disease for 13 years. She prayed for that woman every day that God might heal her, and uh, he didn't heal her, and that woman died. And when she died, my mom said, my prayers have been answered, not in the way I asked, but she's healed now. Mm -hmm. And she didn't look away from, from evil. She didn't look away from hardship. And so another one of my favorites, one day she looked at me and she said, none of this is wasted because God has allowed all of it. Mm -hmm. And that's recognizing that a lot of stuff in, in, in life is really bad, yeah. really awful. Um, and if I could, here's just one more for you. Um, she said something like this. I think there's a couple places in it, but I, I have to confess um, this one is self-ingratiating, but I just felt like other people might appreciate it too. Um, she looked at me, and she would shake her head no and smile, and that often went along with the expression, honestly. And as she's shaking her head no and smiling, it, the nonverbal message is, I can't believe this. Isn't this amazing? It was a positive thing. Follow? Mm -hmm. And she looked. She said, when God planned me, he had you in mind to take care of me. Mm. And uh, I, I did not have dry eyes that day. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's just th th those are some of them. And I, I think that, um, uh, you know, I could, I could go on. But um, uh, I just think that her, her thoughts and the way she, again, especially maintained gratitude was something. And, you know, as a psychologist, it's funny. Our culture is obsessed with the idea of happiness. Go out and get happy. As though happiness is some static state that you can exist in. Well, it's not. Happiness is an emotion. It comes and goes like it feels like it, just like anger or anxiety or frustration or whatever. That doesn't mean we can't notice happiness when it's there. But if you try to stay happy, um, you'll be frustrated and unhappy. Conversely, research shows us that if you want to have more happiness in your life and have more experience of happiness from day to day, cultivate gratitude. Mm -hmm. And and I would just say my mother was the absolute example of cultivating gratitude.
Well, and I, I'm a firm believer, too, that you you can't have true happiness without sadness. You know, you can't. Amen. I mean, you, you have to have, you, you just, you can't. You have to have the yin and the yang to really appreciate um, how good things are sometimes. We need that almost little I slap agree. in the face. Um, knowing that it's cyclic and, you know, if we were happy all the time, then we'd be like the Stepford wives and they weren't so happy. <laughs> you know? So, um, and again, it, I think it's, you know, when we're challenged, you know, for me, one of the, the things that I would always ask is what's the lesson in this? And again, mm. if I would be quiet, I would always get a lesson. Um, but when my brain was chattering and I was stressed then I couldn't hear the lesson. I couldn't see the lesson. I didn't even know what the heck I was looking for. I just wanted out of the mess of whatever it was that dementia or life in general had created. And that's something that I use in all my life now. It's like when I'm really frustrated with something, it's like, okay, just get me out of here and tell me what the lesson is. I'll learn the lesson, <laughs> you know? Right, and, right, yeah. And, and, and it comes, but you have to ask. You have to be accepting you know of that and um and i think that that's a beautiful process because it's to me it's all about learning you know i think we're here to learn and um when we get stagnant um anyways for me that's when i get stuck and when i well i i think i'm sorry go ahead no go ahead well i was i i couldn't agree with you more and i think that you're your openness and willingness to have an attitude of learning, and, and again, that was a signature thing for my mom too, just those attitudinal changes can really give us a different perspective. Um, you know, I, I want to – I think of Rod Serling, picture if you will, mm-hmm. um, from – I was at the Twilight Zone. But picture if you will a person who's walking along with their face down, stumbling along, looking at their feet as they grumble through life, and they're all upset, and all of a sudden they hear – a cracking sound, and they look up quickly, and they see that there's a a, a, a 150 foot pole that's about twice as thick as a telephone pole, and it's starting to crack and fall toward them, and they panic, and they they're, they're all upset, and they start running away as fast as they can, and just like in the cartoons, the pole falls down and hammers them into the ground like a nail. Now, if we back up that picture, and instead see that person with their face up, with their eyes open, looking, what can I learn here? What can I learn there? What can I be grateful for here? And as they do, they hear the same cracking sound of this of this pole that's twice as big as a telephone pole and, and three times as tall, and it's starting to fall quite toward them. But in their openness, they might say, oh, well, wait a second. That pole is four feet wide. If I take two steps to the right, it will fall harmlessly to my left, and I will keep walking. Mm-hmm. And that openness to what can be learned, and and uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more, is is something that I believe even those with dementia continue to learn. They may not remember what they learn as well, but lest we forget, we don't remember what we learn very well either. <laughs> many yeah. times. Well, and I and I also believe that there are great teachers, and um, a lot of times I think people feel like they've lost their value. <clears throat> and and I, I see real great depth in in their human spirit and who they are. And like I said, I that's why I changed careers. Um, because mm-hmm. of the lessons that my mom taught me when most people would look at her as a shell of a body. And, you know, those continued 
um, and still even, you know, she's passed um, a few years ago, but we still communicate now on a whole different level. And some people might think that that's a little cray-cray, and that's okay. Um, but I know she's sitting right beside me right now um, during this whole journey. You know, this is this was really important for her, and and she's a big piece of this work, and, and I don't think she'll ever leave it. Um, and that's a... You know, that's a gift in and of itself there, too. Um, I can't believe how fast this hour is going. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you had mentioned in your intro that you had written some music um, Mm -hmm. regarding your experience. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, Well, uh, the larger context is that... um, I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. When I was six or seven, I frustratedly walked into my parents and said, I've identified my hobby. It's collecting hobbies, meaning there wasn't enough time in the day to pursue all the interests. And, uh, and that was probably no doubt because I was uh, the child of two artists. My dad was also uh, an incredible artist. Um, my mom could make anything out of anything. My dad could draw anything, no matter how small it was, even if he was painting with a magnifying glass. Um, and so there was that creative spirit. Uh, and when I was a kid, I, you know, I had a rock collection and a stamp collection and a bug collection. And of course, under my bed, a dust collection. As I grew older, I did art and painting and illustration and sculpture. And, but as, as your life gets bigger, there's just, you have to make choices and there's fewer and fewer things you can focus in. Um, Although when I retire, I, I hope I get to do a, some of those again. But I, I will tell you one of the reasons I did this book um, was that it was a great excuse for me to at least be able to get back into graphic design and and uh, dealing with artwork and stuff. So I, doing the book was just a labor of love because it enabled me to celebrate my parents' artistic heritage. But uh, one of the areas I focused, I also have to give thanks to my mom. Uh, my mother was my piano teacher. Uh, growing up, we grew up without very much. Um, we certainly were not uh, poor in the sense, especially globally, that so many people uh, are, are are poor. Uh, 663 million people don't have access to safe water. 2.6 billion don't have access to the common decency of a latrine, and that's just where it starts. But uh, we were probably low middle class. Bottom line is we could not afford piano lessons. So mom trotted out her books and did her best to teach me what she had learned. Unfortunately, she didn't realize, and I was nine, so I didn't realize that my very visual memory was a bad thing because I'd look at the music, memorize it, and look down, and so I didn't learn to sight read. But by the time I was 13, I was, I was playing things like Moonlight Sonata or whatever, but, but I discovered, wait, I can actually hear and sound out and, and arrange and, and compose. And so I then just took off with uh, piano as a wonderful emotional and creative outlet um, uh, composing my own music. Uh, having said that, this is why I tell people I believe I have the technical skill of a serious 13-year-old because I, I stopped taking lessons. Um, but I've been just very blessed. Uh, I did not pursue music as a career. In fact, I walked away from it early on, um, but was able to fall back into it by a number of circumstances and uh, just count myself very blessed. Uh, my first CD came out 20 years ago. Uh, my sixth came out in February of this year. In fact, uh, I almost never perform because I, I don't have time to play a lot, so I'm I'm not always well rehearsed, or I'd love to do concerts, but I, I don't do that. Ironically, I will be playing this Saturday in uh, Studio B at the Grand Old Opry um, for a, 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 a piano event. 
but I almost never get to do that. Having said that, though, I've just been so blessed because it seems like my music is able to touch people's hearts, too, and that's important to me. The, the byline of the music is quiet music to calm the heart in a noisy world, and that's part of what I try to do. Um, and uh, so I'm excited when people uh, send me emails and things like this and saying, oh, this music spoke to me or encouraged me at a time when things were hard. And I just make sure that no one puts my music on when they're driving at night because I don't want them to fall asleep at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that but is... it does cure road rage, so it's great when you're driving home from work. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. Good, good to know. Well, um, again, uh, Dr. Brock, I cannot um, thank you enough for sharing this beautiful book with us and taking this much time out of your day to spend with us. This has just been uh, really just a fabulous conversation, and I highly encourage people to pick up the book. Um, again, it's called Twilight Meditations, um, One Woman's Thoughts of God as Alzheimer's Advances. And um, any last thoughts at all that you'd like to share with, with our audience? Thank you very much. Um, just a couple. First, um, uh, the book is exclusively available at Amazon. Um, so you're not going to find it in your local bookstore at this point. Um, but most people have access to Amazon, and hopefully that will work for you. Um, uh, secondly, if folks are interested in music, the website is purepiano.com. Um, but what I would really invite your audience to do, if you're on Facebook, um, consider uh, joining the Twilight Meditations page. So just search for the words Twilight Meditations, and you'll get updates on my, uh, my mom's situation, the book. I also try to put uh, links to other uh, uh, dementia resources, including your site, obviously, Lori, although I'm very new to this. So if you really want to get a lot of information about dementia, don't come to Twilight Meditations. <laughs> come to alzheimerspeaks.com because it's a far better resource. Um, and I really do mean that. But I just would encourage people, if they want to know a little bit more of the story with my mom's situation, they might want to do that. Um, but thank you so much. This has been a delightful hour. And, you know, you talked about learning from your mom, and I can't help but thinking all the thousands of lives you have touched are lives that she has touched through you. And so I guess I can thank you both. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, she would like that. <laughs> yeah, it really is her... Uh, this is her legacy. I'm just, uh, I'm just driving the car, <laughs> you know, and so it's, yes. it's been, uh, been a powerful journey, and um, hopefully it will continue a long time. There's just so much work to be done, and there uh, really is. And it's just a pleasure to be in a position where I get to meet so many people, you know, that are wonderful, doing wonderful things like yourself. So, again, I thank you very much. Now, for contact information, you had mentioned um, Facebook. And getting the book on Amazon. And again, just go to Amazon.com um, to books and, and plug in Twilight Meditations. Um, you can right. also get a hold of Dr. Bjork by um, emailing him at Jeff Bjork, and that's B J O R C K at Pure, that's P U R E, piano, P I A N O.com. And again, thank you so much for being with us. Truly appreciate it. Thank you, Lori. And uh, I just uh, look forward to seeing all the great things you continue to do through this amazing outreach that you have. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to wrap up again, um, offering you to join us on our Dementia-Friendly Cruise, November 11th through the 18th. We would love to have you 
um, with us as we cruise the Caribbean. We're going to have a fantastic time. Uh, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you will get more information regarding the cruise there. Uh, let's see. All of our shows are archived, so you can go back and listen to them to your heart's content. We've been doing it for about six, seven years now. And then uh, we have a, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know where my voice is going today, but it's kind of leaving me. Um, we also just did a new Dementia Chats, which is a video where I interview people with dementia, and they talked about the impact of humor and laughter as the disease progresses, and it's really, really interesting. On the blog, you'll find a wonderful video where children discuss um, how they feel about a parent or grandparent who has dementia. And there's also um, a post from the 9th that talks um, about the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, who is putting on a brand new um, brain longevity therapy training that'll take place uh, October 19th through the 22nd, and I would encourage you to check that out. Their programs are always fantastic. Um, in wrapping up, I just want to thank um, some of the people who are donating and sponsoring the cruise that we are doing. Um, we have uh, John Hopkins is giving us some books, which is wonderful, The 36-Hour Day and a Loving Approach to Dementia Care. Uh, the company Footprint ID, which is a fantastic way to kind of keep your health records. Um, calendar cards um, and memory joggers and the Memory Cafe directory that they have are all participating, as well as um, art kits, um, which we'll be giving a couple of those away, and Trin Rose Seeley with her book, 15 Minutes of Fame. Again, thank you all for uh, listening, and please feel free to share this show and um, pass the information along. Have a great week, everyone. Bye now. We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525.